Spooky Show, the spooky show in the history of the universe of the world ever in life. You betcha. Mm, sorry, I thought I had a burp. <laughs> I think I'm good. I'm your host, Kate. I'm Harrison. Oh, you introduced yourself this week. Yes. He's getting real comfortable. Sometimes. Yep, Harrison, here. Before we start, yeah, yeah. exciting news. You sound excited. I'm very excited. You sound <laughs> so fucking excited. We have merch. 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 The link will be in the bio of this episode and it's on the bio of, in my Instagram. Cool. At Spooky Show Pod. If you want to pick something up, we got t shirts, we got masks, we got magnets, we got pillows, we got, we sweatshirts got coats. for the fall. Yeah, we got, and they're spooky themed. So, um, perfect for uh, the Halloween season. Yep. They are, there's four designs that you can get on like pretty much whatever you want. And, um, those are, I would say those are pretty, some of those are pretty limited. Like, we'll probably switch some out as time goes on. So, get them sure. while you can. Yeah. Get them while you can. Also, rate and review Spooky Show on Apple Podcasts, That'd be please. Tight. I got a lot of nice reviews this week because I got that one mean one. <laughs> and I think people were just being really nice and giving me nice ones to combat, combat that one. Well, good. Yeah, it was really sweet. Thank you to everyone who listens to the show and likes it. Well, thanks to the Spooky Army. Speaking of the Spooky Army, a Spooky Army person... Requested today's story on Instagram. Wow. So we're going to talk about it. It's an audience request? Yeah. Yep. Uh, hey, thanks for writing in. I've never heard of this, and I'm actually surprised because it's like a historical thing, and like there's a movie about it, and like my mom was like, oh, we were just talking about this, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, we're talking about uh, Dr. Jack Kevorkian. And you said you didn't know much about this, right, Harrison? I don't. I know the name. Okay. You're going to like this one. I am? Yes. Okay. Okay, so Dr. Jack Kevorkian was actually born Marab Jacob Kevorkian on May 26, 1928 in Pontiac, Michigan. All right. And his parents were Armenian immigrants from present-day Turkey, and his father, Levon, or Levin, I'll say Levin. Levin. Was born in the village of Passon, and his mother, Santanish, was born in the village of Govden. Wow. So they met when his father left Armenia in the Ottoman Empire and went to Pontiac, Michigan in 1912. And he found work in Michigan at an automobile foundry. And Levin was actually smuggled out of Armenia or Turkey. By missionaries, because this was the time of the Armenian Genocide. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And then Santanish fled the Armenian Genocide and stayed with some relatives in Paris and then reunited with her brother in Pontiac as well. So the two were refugees, and they met through the Armenian community in their city, and they married, and they started their own family. So there's Jack's sister, Margaret, who was born 1926, and then Jack, and then Flora. So, growing up, Jack's parents took him to church every week, 
So they were like a very religious family. Uh-huh. But the more Jack was going to church, he like started to question whether or not God was real because Sure. I think that's a pretty common experience for younger children. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. And for Jack it was because he thought, you know, if God is so mighty and so good, then why didn't he prevent the Armenian genocide that like ruined my extended family? Right. So by the time he was 12, he said, nope, not going to church anymore. And he stopped going. And he he also was a child prodigy, like super intelligent. He was promoted to uh, junior high school in the sixth grade. So I think he basically just like skipped a year. And he taught himself how to speak multiple languages, like German, Russian, Greek, and Japanese. And because he was so smart and so young in like his grade, he often felt like he didn't fit in with his classmates or peers. So he was kind of just like a loner. And he rarely accepted ideas at face value. And he would like have arguments with his teachers at school and sometimes like even humiliate them because he was just like too smart for them. Uh-huh. And this had a lot to do with the way he was raised, too, because his parents were super strict about school, and especially with Jack, because he was the only son in the family. And Levin, Jack's dad, ended up losing his job at the automobile foundry, and then he went on to make, like, a great living as the owner of his own excavating company. And this was difficult, because this was during the time of the Great Depression, but he did it, and, like, so many other families are struggling financially at this time. But they were living, like, a pretty comfortable life in a multicultural suburb in Pontiac. And so Jack graduated uh, from Pontiac Central High School with honors in 1945 when he was 17. And he attended University of Michigan College of Engineering because he thought he wanted to be a civil engineer. But halfway through his freshman year, he became bored with his studies. And he began focusing on botany and biology And then by mid-year, he was like, no, I want to go to medical school. So he took 20 credit hours in a semester to meet the 90-hour medical school requirement. And in 1952, he graduated from the University of Michigan Medical School in Ann Arbor. And then Jack completed his residency training in anatomical and clinical pathology. And he did a lot of research on blood transfusion. Hmm. Hmm. And as for romantic relationships, since Jack was just, like, so, like, alienated and alone all his life, he kind of gave up on that altogether, and he believed them to be an unnecessary diversion from his studies. Wow. Yeah. Very studious young man. Yes. In 1953, his medical focus was interrupted by the Korean War. He went and he served 15 months as an Army medical officer in Korea. Then he finished his service in Colorado. So when he returned from war, he once again started serving residency at the University of Michigan Hospital, and this is when he started to become, like, fascinated by death and the act of dying. He would make, like, so many visits to terminally ill patients and photograph their eyes to try and pinpoint the exact moment of death. And he said that he believed doctors could use this information to distinguish death from, like, fainting or shock or coma in order to, like, learn when recitation was needed or not needed. Yeah. However, he was later quoted saying, but really my number one reason was because it was interesting, and my second reason was because it was a taboo subject. Sure. Fair. (laughs) 
So then he started to stir up a little trouble at the hospital and with his colleagues because he started developing very controversial ideas related to death. And in 1959, in a journal, he wrote, I propose that a prisoner condemned to death by due process of law be allowed to submit by his own free choice to medical experimentation under complete anesthesia at the time appointed for administering the penalty as a form of execution in lieu of conventional methods prescribed by the law. So basically, Jack was championing that prisoners on death row be used basically as dummies for medical research. While they were still alive, since they were going to die anyway, and voluntarily, so not against anyone's will. And he got this idea from research that described medical experiments that the ancient Greeks conducted on Egyptian criminals. And he thought that not only could this, like, save millions of dollars in research, but it would also serve as a glimpse into, like, the anatomy of the mind of a criminal. Sure, yeah. I guess I can understand that. How do you feel about that? I feel like that's interesting. I don't really know. It kind of sounds like, I don't know. I mean, what are they looking for? Like, it a little bit sounds like pseudoscience. Kind of. Creepy bullshit. But also I know that, like, you know, the brains and stuff, like, massively differentiate from person to person. Well, like, I don't think, I think the main goal, goal is just, like, just research, medical research, which, you know, we're going <laughs> to, we're going to need forever. Like, that's always going to be. A thing. Sure. And if they're doing it... But I it, do know this is a spooky show. If they're doing it voluntarily, though, like... I don't know. If the inmate on death row is like... And why isn't it available to other people? You know, it's just, like, specifically very weird that it's prisoners who, like, don't have a lot of free will. Yeah, maybe because... You know? they the, This guy thinks, like, people wouldn't care as much. Yeah, I guess prisoners, so. Which I don't or believe, Or it's just, like, but, him valuing... Yeah. Their life. Interesting. You know. Mm -hmm. So he wrote a proposal about this and he presented it to the American Association for the Advancement of Science. And in a method he called terminal human experimentation, he argued that condemned victims could provide a service to humanity before they died by volunteering for painless medical experiments that would begin while they were unconscious, but would end in death. Okay. So... The senior doctors at the University of Michigan did not like it, and they opposed his proposal, and Jack was like, fine, then I'm leaving this hospital. And I don't know if he actually left or was fired because this proposal was actually gaining some, like, media attention, and in some sources it said that that's why he left the hospital, so I'm not sure. But with this media attention, though, he began to, like, get some support from people. So he returned to the idea of using death row inmates for medical purposes after the Supreme Court's 1976 decision in Gregg versus Georgia, which reinstituted the death penalty. He was, like, now, now he was arguing. He kind of, like, switched up his argument a little bit. He was advocating for harvesting the organs from inmates after the death penalty was carried out for transplant into sick patients. But he failed in this as well. Because prison officials wouldn't cooperate with this idea. But I don't think this plan is bad. Like, if a prison, if an inmate is an organ donor, why not? Why not do that? So after leaving his job at the University of Michigan, he continued his residency at Pontiac General Hospital instead. But now he was getting real controversial and crazy during this time. Such as? He basically, he heard about this Russian medical team who was transferring, who was transfusing blood from corpses 
into living patients, and he wanted to try this. So, okay. <laughs> with the help of medical technologist Neil Nickel, I guess another mad scientist type, um, he did in fact simulate these same experiments. Whoa. He would draw blood from corpses recently brought into the hospital and then transfer it into bodies of like hospital staff members. And huh. I don't, this is something I have questions about. Like, why, how did he do this to staff members? I, I don't know. But yeah. The results were actually highly successful, as in nobody oh, died. So, <laughs> and that's it. Like no one got seriously sick. Yeah, or no one like died. <laughs> so, Jack was now on his high horse. He fully believed that the procedure would be really useful to the U.S. military for people on the battlefield. Like, if blood from a bank was unavailable, doctors could use Jack's research to transfuse the blood of a corpse into an injured soldier. So Jack went on his merry way to the Pentagon, pitched his idea, thinking it would be great to use in Vietnam, but he was denied. They refused to give him a federal grant to continue his research. And this little stunt, like, really isolated him from his colleagues. They began to kind of, like, be scared of him. Like, what is this dude thinking? And his reputation as an outsider was just, like, stronger than ever. So... By 1960, he was qualified as a specialist somehow <laughs> through all of this. A specialist and in what? It's just a medical specialist, I guess. Okay. And he wouldn't have any specialties in particular. He's kind of a specialist. <laughs> he's just like a general physician. A general, I think. a general. I'm kind of a general specialist. Yeah, the general physician. Yeah, that's but a you, thing. I know you were saying specialist. I know that's what it said in my means research. You have like one. Field. Oh, true. Yeah. Um, he went around the country from hospital to hospital, publishing more than 30 professional journal articles and booklets about his philosophy on death. For example, he wrote a series of articles for the German journal Medicine and Law that explained his thinking on the ethics of euthanasia. Huh. Then Jack attempted to set up his own clinic near Detroit, Michigan, but the business failed, so... Jack went to California to commute between two part-time pathology jobs in Long Beach, but those ended very quickly when he once again quarreled with a chief pathologist, which made Jack claim that his career was doomed by physicians who feared his radical ideas. So this man's just freaking everyone out pretty much, and now Jack is like, okay, I'm just going to (laughs) retire. So... He started using his retired time to film a project about Handel's Messiah, as well as research for his death row campaign that he's still feeling a little passionate about. But by 1970, Jack was jobless, and apparently he had a fiancé, but that relationship ended because he thought that she lacked self-discipline. Oh, okay. So by 1982, Jack was still living alone, sometimes sleeping in his car, living off canned food and social security. So in 1985, he returned to Michigan from California to write a comprehensive history on executed humans, which was published in the obscure Journal of the National Medical Association after more prestigious journals said, no, thank you. And in 1986, Jack still kept... Yeah, let me talk about bodies. (laughs) No, thank you. In 1986... um, In 1986, Jack still kept these ideas cooking, and he found a way to expand his death row proposal when he learned that doctors in the Netherlands were helping people die by lethal injection. So not prisoners. 
people that were terminal in the hospital. So now his whole thing that he's fighting for just changes. He's like, I don't know why I'm trying to do all this. He starts a new crusade for assisted suicide or euthanasia. Wow. Mm-hmm. And he begins writing new articles about this, about the benefits of assisted suicide for patients who wanted to die. Sure. He then followed up his papers <laughs> with the creation of a suicide machine he called Thanatron. What? <laughs> yeah, which is yeah, Greek. Just snap your fingers and <laughs> disappear. It's Greek for instrument of death. And he made it out of $45 worth of materials. What is it? Just like a pull string and a, and a pistol? Uh, the Thanatron consisted of three bottles. It delivered successive doses of fluids. The first is saline, a saline solution, then a painkiller, and then a dose of pot- uh, poison potassium chloride, which was the fatal dose. Sure. So with Jack's design, patients who were sick could even administ- administer the lethal dose of poison themselves. And now for once, Jack kind of, like, succeeded at this a little bit. Like, after years and years of rejection from national medical articles, Jack became the focus of national attention for his machine and his proposal to set up a franchise of obituariums, obituariums, where doctors could help the terminally ill end their lives. And I can't say whether or not the attention he was getting was good or bad, but I think this is... This, of course, still even to this day is a controversial idea. So in terms of, like, bringing this idea to light, I think, like, shocked and intrigued, pe- intrigued people. So now people were, like, kind of starting to listen and think about this. Yeah. So in 1987, he started advertising in Detroit newspapers as a physician consultant for death counseling. <laughs> and I don't know how this was allowed, um, but it happened. Yeah, let me just counsel you on your way out. A.K.A. give you the Thanatron. Yep. So, in 1990, though, this is when he becomes famous. He went ahead and participated in an assisted suicide. Janet Adkins was a 54-year-old patient from Michigan who suffered from Alzheimer's, and she was a member of the Hemlock Society, which is an organization that advocates for voluntary euthanasia for the terminally ill. And she was in that society before she got sick. So, Is that like a national organization? I don't know if it's national. It's just called the Hemlock Society. Okay. But after she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, she began to like search for someone who would end her life for her before the disease took full effect. And she heard through the media about Jack's invention of the suicide machine and contacted Jack about using it on her. So Jack was like, okay, let's do it. And he agreed to help her in a public park. <laughs> Inside his Volkswagen van. Wow, that is a hell of a story. <laughs> so Jack went ahead and attached. Holy shit. He attached the IV, and Janet administered her own painkiller and then the poison. And within five minutes, Janet died of heart failure. But this news hit media outlets quick, and Jack became a national celebrity and a criminal. What did they charge him with? Manslaughter? They reckless they, endangerment. They charged him with murder. The state of Michigan charged. Wait, but Jack. she administered her own. Yeah, but they. But he provided the. He he got charged with murder. But what the fuck. The case was later dismissed on December thirteenth, nineteen ninety, and the charges were dropped because of Michigan's indecisive stance on assisted suicide. Sure. They were pretty. There were no laws on this at this wow. time. And then by and then in nineteen ninety one. The state of Michigan did revoke Jack's medical license and made it clear that he was like, you, they were like, you can't practice medicine or work with patients anymore. 
They also told him he couldn't use the suicide machine anymore, but that did not stop him. Um, he was now unable to gather the medications needed to use the Thanatron, so he assembled a new machine called the Mercitron or Mercy Machine. What? Which delivered carbon monoxide through a gas mask. So the following year, uh, the Michigan legislature passed a bill that outlawed assisted suicide, uh-huh. which was literally designed to stop Jack. Like, they were like, this happened, it needs to not happen again, so we're making this law. Um, so Jack ended up getting jailed twice that year since his law was now in place. But um, he was bailed out by his lawyer, Jeffrey Figer, who helped Jack escape conviction because he argued that a person may not be found guilty of criminally assisting a suicide if they administered the medication with the intent to relieve pain and suffering, even if it did increase the risk of death. And it was tricky because the patients administered the drugs themselves. So it's, yeah, it's really tricky. Yeah. And I'll say here, too, that between 1990 and 1998, Jack assisted in the deaths of 130 terminally oh. ill people. They all came to him. He did it in his van. And he just kept doing it. So while all this legal stuff is going on, he's still going at it, <laughs> helping people who asked for it. So Jack was, prosecu- Jack was then prosecuted a total of four times in Michigan for assisted suicides, and he was acquitted in three of the cases, and there was a mistrial on the fourth. And Jack was actually disappointed by this because he told can't reporters... Catch Jack, baby. He told reporters that he wanted to be in prison in order to shed light on the hypocrisy and corruption of society. And in 1998, he was still going at it, and the Michigan legislator enacted a law making assisted suicide a felony punishable by a maximum five-year prison sentence or a $10,000 fine. They also closed the loophole that allowed for Jack's previous acquittals. So they're really just, like, going after this one guy with all these laws. And he's loving it. And he's loving it. He's eating that shit up. (laughs) Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And Jack continued to assist patients. Like, he continued to do this. And meanwhile, the courts continued to pursue Jack on criminal charges. They were just out for him. Wow. And then I think he was really like, come and get me now, because on November 22nd, 1998, he was um, just kind of really fueled by all this. And he went on CBS's 60 Minutes and aired a tape he'd made of the lethal injection of Thomas Uke. What? Yeah. So Thomas had suffered from... What a fucking menace. He goes on... That is like villain shit to be like... Yes, I'll be on 60 Minutes tonight to show me yeah, administering and then the poison. He, yeah, Thomas suffered from Lou Gehrig's disease and asked for Jack's help. And on the recording, Jack helps administer the drugs for his patient. And then after the footage, Jack spoke to 60 Minutes reporters and dared the courts to pursue him in legal, like legally. And this video is controversial because this time, Jack administered the lethal dose himself on Thomas. But Thomas's family called this humane and not murder. They thanked Jack. And the court still went after him and shit? Yeah. Wow. So the prosecutor saw this. So they brought on a second-degree murder charge against Jack. And Jack, for this, decided to serve on his own legal counsel, which apparently just went terribly, and he, like, really regretted it. On March 26, 1999, a jury in Oakland County convicted Jack Kevorkian of second-degree murder and the illegal delivery of a controlled substance. 
And also because Jack's license to practice medicine had been revoked eight years previously, so he was not legally allowed to possess this controlled substance. Um, that April, he was sent to, sentenced to 25 years in prison with the possibility of parole. And during the next three years, Jack kept attempting to appeal, and his lawyers wanted to bring the case to the U.S. Supreme Court, but that was denied. So there were a lot of other things that Jack was kind of doing wrong in this process um, that was brought up in court. Like, for example, a report in the Detroit Free Press said that 60% of patients who died with Jack's help were not terminally ill, and at least 13 had not complained of pain. So... The report also said that Jack's counseling with these patients were too brief and lacked a psychiatric exam in at least 19 cases, five of which involved people with histories of depression. So most patients died within 24 hours of meeting Jack because he didn't really do the full evaluation yeah. like you probably should. So Jack was sent to prison in Coldwater, Michigan to serve a sentence. He was denied parole repeatedly. And on uh -huh. September 29, 2005, he was in an MSNBC interview where he said that if he were granted parole, he would not resume directly helping people die and would restrict himself to campaigning to just having the law changed. And at this point, too, Jack was reported being terminally ill himself with hepatitis C, which he allegedly got while doing research on all those blood transfusions. And Jack was expected to die within a year as of May 2006, so he applied for parole again. And the parole board governor, Jennifer Granholm, paroled him for good behavior on June 1st, 2007. So he's out of prison. He only spent eight years and two and a half months in prison. He was only on parole after prison for two years under the conditions that he wouldn't help anybody else die or provide care for anyone older than 62 or disabled. But he could still provide care for younger people? Um, yeah, I guess. And he huh. agreed and said he would only work to change laws about assisted suicide. Like, that's all he was trying to do. But he was also forbidden by the rules of his parole from commenting about the assisted suicide procedure. And his parole was only for two years, though. So, I mean, I think after that, right, you can kind of do whatever you want. Yeah. Yeah. So, after his release... And after his parole, he gave a ton of lectures at universities like the University of Florida, Nova Southeastern University, and the University of California, Los Angeles. And he did talk about euthanasia in these lectures, as well as topics like tyranny, the criminal justice system, politics, the Ninth Amendment, and American culture. And he appeared on a ton of interviews, too, like Fox News, uh, Your World with Neil Cavuto. <laughs> And CNN's, Neil Cavuto. and CNN's um, Anderson Cooper, 360 Degrees. And on this interview, Cooper asked him, you're saying doctors play God all the time? And Jack said, of course. Anytime you interfere with the natural process, you are playing God. And then there was an HBO film made about him in 2010 called You Don't Know Jack. Without, and, without Pacino. Yeah. <laughs> He was interviewed with the actors in the film, uh, Susan Sarandon and John Goodman, and then he walked alongside... Ooh, great cast, damn. Yeah, and then he walked alongside uh, Al Pacino, who played him... Al Pacino. ...on the red carpet at the premiere on April 24th, 2010, and Al Pacino even received an Emmy and a Golden Globe for his role as Jack. And, Jack, and the Golden Globe. Yeah, Jack was in the audience, and Al Pacino thanked him in his speeches. Wow. Doesn't stop there, too, because... <laughs> 
a little out of timeline here, but on March 12, 2008, Jack decided he wanted to run for United States Congress to oh, represent shit. Michigan's the, yeah, okay. 9th Congressional District as an independent against uh, Joe Nallenberg, who was eight-term, he was an eight-term congressman at the time, and State Senator Gary Peters, Adam Goodman, and Douglas Campbell. And ultimately, Jack received 8,987 votes, or 2.6% of the vote. Did he run on assisted suicide? Oh, I don't know what he ran on. I would imagine so. Maybe. It's like a big issue. Gary Peters ended up winning. Um, Okay. As time went on, Jack ended up getting diagnosed with liver cancer and had a lot of kidney problems as well as the hepatitis C. And he was hospitalized on May 18th, 2011 with kidney problems and pneumonia. And his condition just grew rapidly worse. And he died from thrombosis on June 3rd, 2011. (coughs) Um, I never heard of that. Me either. uh, Sounds bad. In Royal Oak, Michigan. He is buried at Whitechapel Memorial Park Cemetery in Troy, Michigan. So, what do people think of Jack and his beliefs? What do people think of them? Well, I'm going to say, me personally, I'm torn. But Judge Thomas Jackson, who presided over Jack's first murder trial in 1995, said he wanted to express sorrow at Jack's death and that the 1994 case was brought under a badly written law aimed at Jack, but he still attempted to give him the best trial possible. Jack's lawyer during the 1990s gave a speech at a press conference and said, Dr. Jack Kevorkian didn't seek out history but made history. He said that Jack revolutionized the concept of suicide by working to help people end their own suffering because he believed physicians are responsible for alleviating the suffering of patients, even if that meant allowing patients to die. John Finn, medical director at Pallet palliative care at the catholic st john's hospital said that jack's methods were unorthodox and inappropriate (laughs) howard howard markle historian um a medical historian at the university of michigan said that jack was a major historical figure in modern medicine and then the catholic church in detroit said that jack left behind a deadly legacy that denied scores of people their right to humane deaths huh Philip Nitschke, founder and director of the Right to Die organization called Exit International, said that Jack moved the debate forward in ways the rest of us can only imagine. He started at a time when it was hardly talked about and people and got people thinking about the issue. He paid one a hell of a price, and that is one of the hallmarks of true heroism. So a lot of mixed wow. reviews here. Um on Jack's tombstone, it reads, he sacrificed himself for everyone's rights. And in 2015, the Volkswagen van that he did the assisted suicides in was bought by paranormal investigator Zach Baggins from the documentary series Ghost Adventures. And it's for his display in his haunted museum in Las Vegas. So you can go check it out. That's, that's awesome. it. In the end. Yeah. No, I think people like... So, like, my mom, I was literally just talking to her, and she said that they were all just talking about this, and she was like, yeah, he had the right idea. Like, No, I agree with that. Yeah. He had the I right idea. I am pro-assisted suicide. Right. And, but I'm also pro, like, you know, so I like resources and all that shit. You know? Right. And I, I agree with, you know, what he was trying to do and stuff, but when you hear about this stuff he was doing previously, yes, you're kind of like, really that's kind of weird. weird. Yeah. Yeah, no, but, the prisoner stuff rubs me actually really weird. 
Yeah. Because I'm like, why not then just say the public? Like, why is it specifically this imprisoned, like, group of people yeah. that you feel like you have any right to, like, work on? Yeah, and then the whole blood transfusion thing was a little weird, too. But I I don't think he was, like, evil, you know? No, I he think just he had was some, just like, genuinely, He was just, like, genuinely curious. and yeah, like interesting curiosities. Yeah, and um, I don't know. It's a it's a interesting story and it's like important. It's weird. It's weird. It's important to know. I think like agreed. I want to watch this movie now too. Me too. We should watch it. We he's should. Your favorite actor. He. I like Al Pacino. I don't know if he's one of my favorite, but Al Pacino. <laughs> Fun fact about Al Pacino is he is a Taurus Sun, Sagittarius Moon, and Leo Rising, just like me. Hey. I know. We're literally. Soul Star Sisters, me and Al, love him. And that's the end. And that's the end. Let me know what you think of this episode. Let me know if you're, like, what you think of Jack Vorkian. Like, is he a hero or a villain? What do you think? You can let me know on Instagram at Spooky Show Pod, And then you can follow there, rate and review. Harrison has a record coming out Friday, my band. Check it out. Link in the description. Send this to yourcrush.com to mm-hmm. pre-order and pre-save. The band is called Baseball Hat. It's out on Friday. It's really good. I'm on it. Yeah, Kate makes an appearance. <laughs> so if you like Kate, check it out. And if you don't like me, check it out. Fuck you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Thank you for listening. Have the best week of your entire life. Goodbye. <laughs>